What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to and Safety. It's part three of our quarterly co-host with Rob. Unfortunately, that's the last episode on this quarterly co-host. Make sure you listen to the end of today's episode where I tell you who our next quarterly co-host is. But for the meantime, let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about today's episode. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent. What's up peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin we're here to change the perception of health and safety we do it right here on the podcast and the youtube channel as well so if you're new hit that subscribe button okay so it's the last episode of our quarterly co-host rob thank you very much for coming on and being our quarterly co-host i'm really enjoying this segment of quarterly co-host um little bit of a slightly different style um which i'm really enjoying make sure you listen to the end of today's episode to hear about the next quarters quarterly co-host but for the time being this is the last episode with rob so thank you very much and i hope you've enjoyed it and if you are enjoying this quarterly co-host segment please let us know or leave a rate and review because that really helps us um and ultimately if you don't feed back to us um then we don't really know if we're doing it right and whether you're enjoying it so you know if you think there's something needs tweaking let us know as well um so thank you very much for those of you that do do that do do just a quick shout out from our sponsors then. Thank you very much to Paradigm Human Performance and more specifically their HSE subscription service for sponsoring the YouTube channel and podcast. Without Paradigm, we, we couldn't keep continually improving what we're doing and upping our content and pushing the boundaries of what content in the safety risk profession looks like, which is traditionally really plain and boring. So Paradigm Human Performance's HSE subscription service then, the perfect solution for those of you that are listening that are small and medium-sized enterprise, maybe you work for an SME, maybe you are the SME, you're the founder yourself and you're spinning all of those plates and juggling all of those balls and it's just absolutely mad. 
and sometimes safety just falls by the wayside you know not by choice because we know that you all care but ultimately it just it just falls out of sight um and you know that's life but unfortunately when it hits a proverbial fan then it doesn't really help so it's really good to have somebody like paradigm at your side somebody that can come in and have a look at what you're doing and see if you need some help some some upgrading so to speak paradigm human performances hsc subscription service is is built by hop professionals human organizational professionals so it's got the new view of safety woven throughout it it puts worker safety at the dna of your company it's going to help you understand how to utilize the subject matter expertise of the worker one of the things that we fall down the most with so if you're an sme and you're thinking i need to make sure that i'm a little bit better on my legal regulatory compliance stuff um, but i want to do it with someone who's a bit more kind of new viewy then this is the perfect solution for you this is not the kind of system you're going to have to declutter in five years time once you've read a couple of todd's books or sydney's books you know this is the right solution for you and if you're not sure about paradigm because you've only heard them you've only heard about them from me then you can go check them out at their learning organization webinar at the website which is linked in the description below you can log in and you get access to all the old webinars and you get to go then to every thursday at 2 p.m and it's just phenomenal conversations i'm there give or take nearly every week along with an amazing community and the chat box is nuts, it's great, and the conversation on, on the webinar is good. There's just so much content there. So go check them out. All the Paradigm team are normally there, or the most of them are normally there, so you can check them out as well, and you get a feel for them. You can see their expertise before you buy it, their, their support, basically. Kind of try before you buy, if you will. If you don't want to do that and you want to get straight into it, then there's a phone number and an email address in the description below, and you can contact Paradigm Human Performance straight away. Thank you very much, Paradigm, for sponsoring this channel. And finally, just a shout out from uh, me and Colin Nottage and our company in Project Miletium. Project Miletium is a mastermind community, the only mastermind community for the safety and risk profession. This is all focused on building a community of people that get together on a regular basis, weekly, in fact, and we just help each other solve our problems. We comfort each other, we support each other, we celebrate each other, and we just help each other become better. It's all about building a better profession that's what we want to do and we do that with our community and we just facilitate that process so you can join project Miletium and you get access to weekly community calls uh, every friday and every wednesday and as we're growing really quick now it seems like we might have to add a uh, add a add a breakfast call soon so we've got a, an evening call a lunchtime call and we, we're looking to add a breakfast call soon and these community calls are turning out to be just phenomenal the best the best offer basically that, that we think is around and all of our members are feeding back being like, do not change your community calls. They are phenomenal. We love them and our members love them. We also run book clubs. We also run a philosophy call. This helps us get to the foundations of what all these things are that we're discussing. We discuss risk and safety all the time, but do we actually understand really what it is? You can only do that through philosophical discussions, and that's why we do that. And they're hosted by the amazing Simon Casson, who runs Ouch Training, so go check him out as well. So if that sounds like the community for you, if you want to become a better safety professional, a better risk professional, whatever, go to www.com projectmeliteam.com just go check it out or you can try it for free by just messaging me or colin we'll get you in one of our community calls you can try it out for free I'll hopefully see you at one of our calls soon okay without further ado let's get into the last conversation of this quarter's quarterly co-host with rob fisher right mate welcome back to the podcast for the last of our quarterly co-host i can't believe it's been a month <laughs> 
I know, right? Uh, it's uh, it feels like us. We've just spoke like three or four times, just bing bang bong. But it actually, <laughs> like, it's been a quarter of the year. It's like it's weird when when this gets out. It'll be like the the way ahead, and we we'll, we won't even remember this conversation. Right. We're probably going to be talking about things that won't even apply by the time that by right. the time we're talking about them. We might be like, remember what we used to speak about in that quarterly co-host? That's wrong. That's a load of shit. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. None of that's grounded in the science. <laughs> the science changed. It changed. Oh, wait, that's happening now. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and such is the problem with all of this scientific approach. I think everyone's just so desperate for this kind of, I think we've seen that so much in COVID as well <laughs> with like, um, I think it was a really interesting conversation around like face coverings and stuff, no matter what your opinion on it is. It's like, well, there's no evidence to say they work. And I'm like, well, yeah, because we've never been in this situation before. So there's no science to do it. And then when we get like, so in the beginning, everyone's like, oh, you know, face coverings, then they're not proven to work. So don't, don't use them, blah, blah, blah. The, our government came out and said, well, but then they were like, oh, Actually, they do work. Everyone should start wearing them. Well, six months ago, you said don't wear them. Well, yeah, because six months ago, we didn't have any fucking science. But now we yeah. do. So we just give us some time. We can't just pull the science out of our orifice. It's like science is just constantly changing, yeah. contradicting itself. And I think a lot of people find that really uncomfortable to deal with. Well, it's funny, you know, the, to tie some of this a little bit back into hop discussions and, and, and really rebranding safety discussions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, we could say that the pyramid was all we had to convince people of 20, 30 years ago. Mm. We had to get people to shift to, to focus on, on different things. Were they the right things? Were they perfect? No. Do, do we think that the, that the focus on the pyramid it saved lives and shifted thinking and made people look at different things? You're damn right. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean we haven't evolved. Well, I have this picture that I put up when I do some introductory sessions and it's a picture of a, a hummingbird and a bumblebee. And what those two things have in common is they have flown for millions of years without us understanding how they do it. Mm. And it was only until the early um, uh, 20th century that we discovered that we could build a helicopter that shouldn't fly according to the physics of the day under those same principles. And now we can lift massive objects with helicopters over a very short period of time from about the early 1900s to now, we can lift massive components with a helicopter that we didn't even know the physics of a hundred years ago. And it's the same with human and organizational performance or same with rebranding safety. These things that we know now, we have to build on those. It doesn't mean that humans have changed what it means is that we now understand humans better than we ever have in human history. Yeah. You know, when we talk about personality tendencies, we, we base them off the ancient Chinese for thousands of years. They have understood how some people are, are more fiery. Some people are more down to earth or grounded. Some people are more uh, cool and calm as water. Some people are like the squirrel, like the wind. And those then became the doer, the thinker, the socializer, the relator. Mm. 
the the eight colors of red, green, blue, and yellow. Mm. It's an evolving um, understanding of the science. Yeah. And that's the key is we understand the science. The fact that masks work or didn't work was our understanding, not the physics of the mask. Mm. So that, yeah. that grounding in science, it, you know, it winds up being important. And it's so true. And I think that there's like an uncomfortable, there needs to be like an uncomfortable acceptance in that you're, you're, you're never, you're never there. Like you're always, you're where you are now, but ultimately there'll be another report in a couple of months time or years time that tells you that where you are now is not where you should be because we've, we've learned something else. And I think, I think the, the triangle is a great example of that because I think we worked off that for a long time and then we found out, oh, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And then Carsten Bush has done a lot of work in this space as well. And and he's a lot of the work that he's now doing is saying, actually, when, yes, the triangle is technically wrong, but actually the triangle is not wrong. How we've used it is wrong. Exactly. And and so our understanding of the triangle now, thanks to Carsten and some others, their, their work on using local rationality to try and understand what Heinrich was trying to achieve, we can now understand the triangle better because we understand the science better to be able to say, actually, the triangle works, but for each individual kind of hazard type or event type, not for each a individual organization. Yeah, it, it works for a task. We yeah. call it managing the slice. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not the it's not the pyramid for the organization. It's for this task. Yeah, and it may go as far as this person on mm. this task at this time. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the same. I I've been asked a few times, like, "Oh, rebranding safety is that all about getting us from safety one to safety two, or old view to new view?" And and I'm like, well. Maybe at the moment it is, but it's not like that forever because at some yeah. point the new view will at some point be the old view. And so for me, like the question, and I've been asked this before, is like when when will you have achieved to rebranded safety? You have rebranded it. Never, hopefully, because whatever right. we rebrand it to, we'll, we'll need to rebrand it again in yeah. another 10 years or five years or 20 years or whatever. And then we'll need to rebrand it again. And it's a right. constant perpetual cycle so I see my work as just a constant challenge to hold us all to account, to say, are we evolving? Are we rebranding the way we keep our, each other safe? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, all models are wrong, but mm. some are useful. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, what, that's, what, that's what you and I do, mm. really for a living and a lifestyle, and it's, and it's how we're cut. We're found, we were born to help that, to help things evolve. I very often say, you know, there's three kinds of people. There's explorers, there's pioneers, and there's settlers. Mm. And um, we've always kind of considered ourselves in the explorer and pioneer, and then we'll let other people settle. Mm. But the, some of the challenges, you know, going back to the things we're talking about, whether it's rebranding safety, safety one, safety two, safety differently, uh, hop, um, is sometimes the settlers take over the, you know, take over the town, which is fine, but then they try to run the expansion. 
Mm. And, and uh, so, you know, I mean, you can look in the towns around you and see how that works. Yeah. <laughs> where the, where the people that are out there really looking for change, really looking for, uh, it's not, I, I don't like to say the next new thing, but the next new thing, mm. you know, the next phase or the next generation of what we do that we, that we then need to rebrand. Mm. Um, there still have to be people out there like that. Yeah. And I think it's up to people like you and I to go find those folks along the way. If not, the settlers will run it. Yeah. And, and it's also like you need all of those, don't you? You need the settlers oh, yeah. to kind yeah. of run the, you know, there is nothing wrong in being that kind no. of guy that just wants things to be as they are. Because ultimately, for a period of time, each time this cycle of, kind of scientific evolution comes around there is a period of settling in between each one of those and you wouldn't want somebody an explorer just running everything all the time if you just like there's got to be some kind of set we'll all be knackered <laughs> and I mean, there's, just, there's a couple of companies that are very famous right now that that's happening right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and i think you see that on, on in like entrepreneurial kind of um things that have blown up. I think it's a good example. You see those companies where you've got those people who just love building companies, trying new things out and exploring new, new beyond it, like, you know, beyond, I suppose. And yeah. um, like people always kind of look at Richard Branson as, as a kind of popular example at the moment as always oh, a great businessman. No, he's not. He's an entrepreneur. He doesn't actually run or own any of those organizations. He builds them, gets them to a point, and then he buggers off because he's bored of it now. Because he's but not he's smart successor. enough to find people that can. Exactly. So he finds the person that can settle there, can hold it, maintain it, and keep it out of ears. That's what he does. Then he buggers off because he's acknowledged in his head, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at finding a new idea or solving a problem and building it. Once it's built, I'm bored shitless and I want to move on. And right. I, I get that. I really get that. Anyway, that's, I, this is all kind of related, I think. It's, it's completely related because one of the things that we, uh, so I'm Rob Fisher, for those of you who may have forgotten. <laughs> you should from know a month him ago. by now. Yeah. yeah, you should should know me by now. Uh, I own a company called Fisher Improvement Technologies, and we've spent the last 30 years, uh, 30 years and three months now, right. <laughs> Since we've been doing this for three months. And how many uh, weeks and days? Yeah, no, no, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> helping organizations and individuals understand how, why people make mistakes, uh, you know, especially mistakes that can prove to be catastrophic mm. and how you can either prevent those mistakes, minimize their probability or reduce their consequences, mitigate their consequences. That's really the only things you can do with human error. So you have to understand and learn how to manage it manage it. And I really appreciate James the rebranding safety for, for having me on because we, we, we spent the first uh, session of, of our time together talking about leaders and leader strategy. And it all starts there. And, and whether you're, whether you're rebranding safety or doing safety differently or trying to establish a just culture or trying to implement the concepts of human and organizational performance, um, the strategy for leaders matters. And you have to give them tools just like you give the worker tools. You got to give them processes and, and you have to change their paradigm. You got to give them a better paradigm better than the one you're asking them to leave. And then last month, 
we talked a little bit about, we called it workforce buy-in and engagement, but the reality is it's engagement with the concepts, engagement with each other, engagement with the leaders. And oddly enough, we circled back to that leader attribute quite frequently during our workforce discussion about how do we involve the workforce in the process? How do we get them to interact and how do we, how do we use those engagements? And then most importantly, how do we integrate the concepts into the day-to-day work? And so the third session, we wanted to talk about strategies for deployment and, and how, do you, how do you go about moving down the road? And there's really three phases that we're gonna talk about. Education, people have to get new information. And that new information drives them to learn something new. They gain knowledge. Integration, you've gotta then put that knowledge into the day-to-day workflow. And then sustainability, you have to create the mechanism that makes this how we do business. So that you are now, you now have the organizational capacity and you're resilient so that you become highly reliable. It's the creation um, of a highly reliable system as opposed to going out and trying to buy high reliability. Mm. So I hope I didn't take over too much, but that kind of encapsulates where we've been and where we're going. Yeah, I like that. And I think as well, just to kind of put pick point out on that last thing you said there, like, we've kind of gone through those three steps or by the end of this session, we will have gone through those kind of three kind of key steps to go through, to start your journey in this, this kind of change. But it's, it's not like you've just kind of alluded to there to go out and buy high reliability. You can't go out and buy this off the shelf. Like this is a, you can get, you can get a consultant to come and help you out 100%. And, and a lot of those concepts are probably a bit of a standardized approach, which we, that, uh, that we touched on uh, last week, but ultimately, I suppose the how you go about the journey and the start is is, is quite unique to each company and your maturity. I suppose, Rob, would, would you agree? Or well, the uh, again the the start the deployment piece. So you have deployment and integration as part of that those first pieces. The deployment piece is really pretty standard. We've got about three deployment models. It depends on size and and company capability. And those have just been developed over time. Mm. Uh, and, and now we, we really have really added a fourth because we can do things online and virtually where before almost everything was done in person. But there's only really three ways to go about it that we found successfully. That doesn't leave out the 15 or 20 we probably tried along the way. Or, you know, we come across a client that says, well, you know, we, we like you to, uh, we like what you're saying, but we, we know this works for our organization and, and you have to let them try that. But most of those came back to one of those three education elements. Mm. You know, here, here's what we know has to be in there. Here's the minimum standard for what someone needs to know about these concepts for them to be successful and you to be successful as an organization. I don't know anything in life that doesn't have a minimum standard of knowledge associated with it. Well, yeah, because you have to know how to do the thing, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you started podcasting. And admittedly, I mean, we met right near the start of your podcasting career. 
at the start of that. And, you know, I, I have a podcast, the Essential Leadership Cycle podcast. We didn't know much about that. So we looked to people that did. We, you know, we, we talked to the Jay Allens and, and, and talked to people that did it and found out what some of the rules were that would help. We had to learn how to do that. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I just downloaded an app. So my minimum knowledge was the, uh, I listened to a podcast that said, here's an app that can, you can start a podcast. And I plugged it in, downloaded it, plugged the headset in and just went, fuck it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I pressed record. And I'm literally coming off a dog walk. I'm la- I'm literally hanging off the end of my sofa, just going, and then I listened to it back and went, oh, that sounds pretty good upload and then i was like screw it i'll do a couple more so there was a minimum knowledge granted yeah right Um, but i think that minimum knowledge is uh it's kind of relative isn't it my minimum knowledge is different from you're depending on what you're trying to achieve for me it was an experiment for you it was probably um kind of more of a, a business strategy initially therefore quality was maybe a higher priority for you yeah so that's a that's a great point and, and the reality is that people don't enter into this realm if it's not important. Mm. They come in for three reasons. Business, quality, or safety. Mm. That's the three reasons they, uh, a company does hop. Yeah. Or, or, and really, if you're, if you're talking about if you shift over to rebranding safety, there's one reason they do it. What they don't realize is the more you know about rebranding safety, the better your quality is going to be. Yeah. Because you can't do the, the concepts that we talk about. And this is a piece of the education. You can't do the concepts that we talk about without impacting quality, safety, effectiveness, efficiency, and productivity. Yeah, definitely. Because the air doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that was, um, that's kind of like, that's so reminiscent of what I'm doing in my in my day job, like we're building a framework for our industry that I'm, I'm kind of going through it. And I'm like, do you know what? If I call this something to do with health and safety, I'm, I'm literally missing so many opportunities because, yep. you know, we're taking so much inspiration from human organizational performance, high reliability industries, resilience, science, safety, science, safety, differently. We're taking all of those and, and safety too, and all of that. And we're taking all the inspiration from those. We're taking bits out and we're, we're playing around with it and tweaking it to the language and the style of our industry and creating this framework. And I'm like, if we call this safety, anything safety, it's a, it's a wasted opportunity. So uh, it, we, we've kind of gone down the route of calling it like operational risks because it ticks a box for quality. It ticks a box for yeah. performance. It ticks a box for environment. It ticks... You know, it's ticking all of those boxes because ultimately what we're talking about here is human and organize an organization's performing ergonomically together and succeeding yeah. ergonomically, I suppose. Yeah, it's human and organizational performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, too many people get lost in the HP, human performance or HOP. Yeah. It's, it, it's the way... It's the concepts that make the human and the organization perform better. Yeah. And so, so the education needs to mix those up. One of the biggest comments that we've gotten across the entire time that we've been doing this, and, and again, just to remind people, that's been 25 or 30 years and over 350,000 students globally 
So we've been able to collect some comments along the way. One of the biggest realizations from the senior leaders and the managers is, hey, you know what? This doesn't just apply to safety. <laughs> we could use these same concepts in quality. So when you, when you talk about that task-based system, the individual surrounded by other people, programs, processes, work environments, organization, equipment, you say, yeah, that individual in that middle of that system can be doing quality work. They can do, be doing safety work. They can be doing environmental work. They can be doing finance work. They can do, you name it, they can be mowing a lawn. You well, know, ultimately, you, they're, they're doing work, aren't they, which, which incorporates all of those. Everything. And it includes home. So if you're teaching your 14-year-old how to mow the garden, then you can use the task-based system to make sure that they do that safer. Yeah. But you could also say, well, you know, my significant other has a very special way that they like to see the lawn. They like to see these nice diagonal stripes across the garden when we're done. So if I'm going to transfer that, just to the she 14 year old self if she wants it like that yeah yeah and and absent that since you know <laughs> after after i healed from from the black eye uh, <laughs> you tell the 14 year old hey from a quality perspective or a process perspective here's what needs to happen from a safety perspective this thing's spinning a thousand thousand miles a minute and one touch and you could cut off a finger or a toe you know, having those discussions that nobody had with us can really impact the way that that task happens. And that task happens, what, a million times a day somewhere in the world? Mm. Mm. So I also you think to bring it back to like your initial point of education on this, like people having to learn new things and, and how to do them. I think sometimes it's, it's about understanding all of those little components in there. So if we kind of understand mowing the lawn, let's kind of keep that as an example. I think one thing that we don't do very well, Rob, is, is explain how we've designed out the risk. So like mowing the lawn, we don't explain, hey, this is called a dead man switch to make sure that you got both hands on, on this mower. So you're not going to cut your put your hand under the blade wash it's running or, or, or something like that. Um, and, and I'm going to cut the zip tie that I use off of it so that it works for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I, you know, that's just see do as I, what, what do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and like we, we, we want these diagonal lines because I don't know, because your mum's a bit weird and she likes diagonal lines on the, on the right. lawn, but, Ultimately, it's your mum's house, so suck it up. <laughs> yeah, get it exactly. Done. But just that explanation, I find that education of not just the new things, but the existing things as well, yeah. is really important. Could, do you mind if I tell a story about that? No, I like so, stories. And, you know, sometimes we're still going to miss because we're, we're fallible. We're fallible humans. But at yeah. least we have reduced probability. Mm. So a guy thought, you know, my the whole 14 year old mowing the lawn thing came from evolved from this story. Um, he has a, he has a, a, a ride on mower and about two acres. And so it was about time to transfer the, the, uh, the chore to his son. And he, and he went, you know, he took out the task based system. He did a pre-job brief or what we would, you know, what we would think is a pre-job brief at the start of the summer, 
said, this summer we're going to do this. He walked me out, did all the things you were talking about. When you stand up off the mower, the reason it shuts off is so that the blades aren't still turning. The reason why you can't uh, make the blades turn when you're doing this is so that it won't, so that this won't happen. And, and he said, now here's, here's the way we want to approach it. In the spring, you're going to start with the deck on number four. And then after a month, you're going to move it to two. And then you're going to move after, and then you're going to move it to one so that we start to mow the grass down as it grows. And, and as he tells the story, the first week he went out there, he did that ta uh, job briefing and he, and he stood out there and watched his kid mow the yard and, you know, had a beer and, and just watched him and, you know, thumbs up him, you know, watched him and, and, and was the second time that the kid mowed the yard. He put it down to two, the deck down to two, and the dad observed that, went in the house and came out, peeked out a couple of times, waved out the window, and it was good. The third time, he, the dad said, well, he knows what he's doing. He left. And this is the importance of the difference between a job briefing and a task briefing. We're still in education, right? A job briefing says, this is how this all works. A task briefing says, this is how this task is going to work. What he forgot was that about three quarters of the way back in their, in, in their property, there was an old wellhead that stuck up in the ground. And that wellhead, the only time you had to mow around it was when you were on, when, when the mower deck was on one or zero. Every other time, the mower blades would just go right over it. So he left, his wife was still in the house, the son hit the wellhead, the blade broke and came up through, and, and he had 60 stitches in his oh thigh God. from the blade breaking. And the dad really punished himself because he had gone through all of these things to try to prevent something bad from happening, and he forgot that one. Mm but had they done a pre-task briefing, they probably would have had that discussion and the discussion back to our verbalization uh, chat last month, that discussion would have probably spawned the, oh yeah, don't forget about this wellhead back there. You have to mow around that. Yeah, I like that story. I think there's such a, a power in those well-rehearsed, well maybe well-structured, um, pre-job briefs or pre-task briefs to use your your kind of phrasing in in that right we're at the job like and I've, I've said this to so many customers members you know like so many colleagues as well like do you do do you do kind of pre-job briefs um well when in the morning we uh, when we're collecting the vans we all just say hi and the boss says this is what we're all doing today no, no i mean pre-job brief so when that crew turns up on site or when your lads turn up at the machine right what are we trying to achieve for this task for this job and is anything different from our risk assessment rams method statement what do we want to call it you know is there any deviation today well yeah the risk assessment says work on the roof and um we don't need edge protection because we've got harness but it's pissing it down and it's um windy af today so there's a slight deviation there. What do we think? And you just spark that conversation. Yeah. Maybe in your story, shouldn't we gone, you know, 
is there anything different about today? And then somebody would have gone, oh, yes, you're on level two on the, on the mower today, aren't you? Yeah, that means that there's going to be a different uh, job because you're going to hit that. You're going to hit that yeah. kind of uh, pipe or whatever it was, and 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 then I also don't. I also think we undervalue. Well, actually, I don't think we undervalue because I don't think we do it. Um, Post job briefs either, like especially when nothing goes wrong or when the day is just normal day. We've succeeded. And yeah. I'm, I'm getting to the end of that, and it's such a powerful question at the end of the job is to say, our rules, procedures, risk assessments, did they work for today? Yeah. That work well, we, has done work as imagine gap would just start to shrink if everybody's yeah. asking that question at the end of the day. We, we thought it was so important that, you know, a lot of major companies do pre-job briefs, but they haven't really moved to the task. We thought it was so important that we wrote a free app oh, okay. that anybody can download that seven questions. Uh, what am I getting ready to do? Do I understand the task? Is there anything about my personality tendencies that could adversely impact the task. Do any of these traps exist today? Um, what can go wrong? How could I get in a situation that I shouldn't be in? What's the worst credible thing that can happen? Under what conditions should I stop the task and can I do it safely? Yeah. yeah. So we we created that and and that um, that app can be downloaded for free. And people can carry around the ability to do those pre-task briefings in their phone. Mm. They can pull it up and do it at any time uh, under any conditions. So we thought it was so important that we start to move to have those discussions and those engagements. Because if you don't do that well, it makes the debrief more difficult. Mm. If, you don't get, if you don't get in the habit of pre-task briefing, it's really hard to get in the habit of post-task reviews. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think also, Rob, like, I, I don't want people to, to kind of listen to this and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, right. So I'm going to go and I'm going to write like a four-page checklist. Like, no, no, a checklist is a different tool. A checklist right. is something else. A, a, a brief as a conversation. Like that's right. like a group of lads, a group of girls, and you know, whatever, standing there and going, what's different today? What could go wrong today? Like, How powerful is that question? Right. What could go wrong today? Well, we're just about to break ground. So there could be any number of services under the ground. Okay, what have we done to, to make sure that we don't breach the services? And then just start that conversation. What if the paperwork was wrong and there actually is services? down there like that's something that could go wrong what do we think and just entertain that conversation and I, and I just think it's so powerful get people good uh, you know I think it's a, ser- a series of no more than about four or five questions like you've said good open question that yep. facilitate a conversation don't overcomplicate this and I don't know about what your opinion would be on on like recording that like I understand you've got the app but like let's say we didn't have that app and it wasn't free to everybody or it was paid and people didn't have the budget what do you think about people having to write down or record that that brief do you I mean yeah what, what do you think do you think it kind well of brings I think there's two one? I think there's two levels if we're doing a known high-risk task that we're going to use a checklist for there's a checklist for a reason pilots mm-hmm. do a checklist for a yeah. reason Aircraft mechanics do a checklist for a reason. People doing switching orders in utility do a checklist for a reason. Yeah. If we're doing a known or suspected high-risk task, 
that's when you need a checklist. Yeah. In this one, in fact, you, you have the ability to record or not, but in our app, it's not saved unless you mail it to somebody. Yeah. So it's yeah. about leading the conversation. And that, that question is great. What could go wrong? Here's what we've discovered. When you ask the question, what could go wrong today? The, the question, what it, what's different is fantastic. When we ask what could go wrong, we usually get the answer to the question, what has gone wrong? So we have that discussion of things that we know have gone wrong. Yeah. When we ask the next level question, what's the worst credible thing that can happen? We get a completely different answer because now people are using their creative brain to say, okay, I've got two criteria. It's the worst and it's credible. Mm. So when you have that conversation, it's a very rich conversation. So somebody says, well, we could all die. Okay. Tell me how that could happen. Well, I mean, it's an excavation, so we don't control it. Right. Somebody could fall in and the walls could cave in and, Okay, what are we doing to prevent about that? Because, you know, we didn't have that conversation on what could go wrong. On what could go wrong, you said, well, the walls could cave in. There was nothing about how James could be standing on the edge and, 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 and be taken in. Mm. That didn't come out until what's the worst thing that can happen. Mm. And, and if you protect against what the worst thing that can happen is, you start really protecting against some of the other things that could go wrong yeah yeah and i think and i think it's your your kind of two points that, that we first got it's that kind of education and integration and i suppose we're more talking about integration here well i i think you you kind of mentioned in that like not not just regulating those those concepts um, but it becoming how we do business. And I think that's kind of what we're touching on here. That's just how we do business, because I think we talk a lot about these pre-job briefs and all the examples that both you and I have given are all kind of uh, front sharp end kind of examples. But I mean, wouldn't it be nice to hear a leader ask those same questions when they're making a decision on cutting a budget? You know, well, we're going to cut an operational budget. OK, what could go wrong? What could go wrong with that? Um, yeah. Well, we're cutting that budget. What's that budget? It's a maintenance budget. Well, we're cutting a maintenance budget. What could go wrong there? Well, we, I mean, really, that could mean that we're pushing our machine to the edge. So the interlocking guard might not work, which means somebody might go in there and lose a hand. Or it could mean that the, the, quality, of the, product, the quality of the product is harder for us to maintain, therefore meaning we're throwing more raw materials at it because we're wasting more. How powerful would it be if we had those pre-task briefs at all levels throughout the organization? So it's great that you say that because now we can go all the way back to two months ago mm. and talk about leader education. Yeah. When they say who should be in the room, I say all the senior leaders, finance people, human resources people, safety people, quality people. They say, well, why the finance person? So I, I was doing a manager class that the chief financial officer for a pretty major company had was sitting in on, and, and she had pushed herself to the last manager class of a string of about 15 of them. And so she was one of the last people into the last class because they had a requirement that all leaders shall attend this 
class, right? You know, yeah. and, and we're sitting there and we start talking about verbalized point and touch. And she goes white and says, do you mind if I share a story with you? And, and we said, no, not at all. She says, well, last week, um, we kind of got the final um, word that we were no longer going to be the provider of choice for a very major client. And, and she says, I've really struggled with that as, as a leader because uh, five months ago, we had a person in the finance department that was working off an Excel spreadsheet and billed this client $500,000 instead of $5 million. They owed mm. us $5 million. The person billed them $500,000 and they shit. paid it. And then we caught it. And we said, you know, we're very sorry. Do you owe us $4.5 million more? Mm. And it was completely our, our error. And. Well, that's so embarrassing. It, not only was it embarrassing, it was a value that the chief financial officer had to deal with their chief financial officer on. If it had come in on the invoice, that company would have just paid it. Mm. So their CFO tells the, the lady that's sitting in the room to, how do we know you haven't charged just the other way on some of these, if you make mistakes like this. Yeah. And, 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 and so the CFO went to the CEO and said, look, we're a little bit at risk here. And ultimately, they lost a 20 or $30 million a year contract because of the loss of trust. But back to your, um, back to your statement, the leaders should be having those discussions. And, and remember when we said, if you give leaders models and have them use them, then, then the workers will use them. A pre-task brief would be called something different for a leader, but it's the same damn thing. Mm. What could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I've, I've seen uh, incidents. Uh, a guy got his, his fingertip cut off. And ultimately, it went back to a management decision to tell the purchasing department that they weren't allowed to buy anything in the next two quarters that wasn't on the critical equipment list. Mm. Go back to that decision and say, what's the worst thing that could happen or, or what could go wrong here? If we do this, what are some of the things that may not be on the critical equipment list that we might need? What's the worst thing that could happen? Their worst thing that could happen probably wasn't someone gets their finger cut off. But isn't it amazing that that was tied so directly to that manager decision to put a hold on what they were allowed to buy? Uh, I love that. And, and I think um, I talked about the, the 12th or the, no, the 10th person or something like that for a while. I don't know if you've seen the film World War Z um, with Brad Pitt. Great film. Um, but uh, I talked about that for a while. And I, and I actually think, if I remember rightly, I've actually got it here. Um, I think in volume two of the uh, Human Performance Improvement Manual, I think they've actually got Devil's Advocate as a kind of error reduction tool or something or yeah it, it's been it's been in there for some time yeah to, to and, assign a devil's advocate it's in our um our knowledge worker so engineers and subject matter experts uh and, during and I, design phase and i think as uh, what that does is and then to bring it back to the original point about that film 
um, they they kind of in that film basically they go. Brad Pitt's this invent. I'm not. I'm not spoiling the film, but you know, if anybody's really funny about spoilers, hashtag spoiler alert. Um, but he um, he basically like right. He's the investigator for the UN, right? Bring him in. He's all beautiful with his long hair and stuff. And then we finally get to the point where he goes, right? We need to go and talk to the people who are doing well with this with this virus. Who's dealing with? Well, it's good to Israel. Israel, I think it was. And um, and um, they go there and they say, how come you? How come you're all so prepared? How, how did you know? Like, did you know this was coming? And if you did know, how did you know? And they said, no, we we. It came up in, an, in in a memo, and basically that same memo went everywhere, and all the governments just disregarded it. They were like, not a credible risk, right? But in Israel, or whatever country it was, they had this rule called the 10th person or the 12th person or whatever it was, right? And it was if the entire board agree, the 10th person must disagree and plan accordingly. So they did under this rule, they disagreed and planned accordingly. So they assumed that this zombie virus would cause an outbreak and planned a whole plan, resources, got it all ready. If it were, if it happened, this is what we do. It was professional devil's advocate is what it was, yeah, but exactly. he was given the resources to do it. And I just think, imagine if the government had a 10th person for COVID when they first got told about it or when they first talked about pandemics back in 1979 or something, I think right. it was when we put together a pandemic plan, they went, right. What if it was um, another kind of SARS related or unknown virus? Oh, that wouldn't happen. We, it'll be known to us. Okay. Yeah. 10th person, you've got a plan for a virus that we don't know about. There's not flu. There's something that we're not, not ready for. Off you and, go. And, and, you know, in a company, you could actually set limits on when you need that. Mm. If the decision's over a hundred thousand dollars, depending on your size of your company, yeah, the right? severity of, um, of that decision. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, we we have we have layers or levels in our company that uh, people are authorized to make independent decisions at at one level, but we make a we have what's called the operations advisory council. They have to go to the OAC and plead their case. Yeah. So yeah. so you know we were talking about. When to create sustainability from integration, it has to be become the way you do business. Mm -hmm. So if the if the leadership team forgets to sign the devil's advocate, forgets to say in a management meeting on budget, what's the what uh, what could go wrong? What's the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. Then someone makes sure that that happens. That's sustainability. Mm -hmm. But does isn't that actually? an internal evaluation of our capacity and resilience. Yeah. Because we put these concepts in and integrated them into the way we do business and anyone can raise that concern. That makes us sustainable. The next person that comes into the leadership team is going to be taught. This is how we do business, but it's a, it's a capacity evaluation at every step. Do we have the capacity and capability to handle this? Mm -hmm. So at the worker level, that's called individual capabilities versus task demand match or mismatch. Right. This person on this task at this time may or may not have the individual capabilities that match the task we're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. the, the father, individual capabilities versus task demands in mowing the yard. 
was very high, been doing it for decades. The sun's individual capabilities versus task demands on the identical task was very different because he didn't even know about the wellhead. Well, I mean, he knew about it because he tripped over it as a kid and they, you know, played GI Joe's in it and things like that, but he didn't know it had anything to do with mowing the yard. Mm. So the same thing applies for these leaders that are making decisions. And we, what we like to work in is that um, circling all the way back to two months ago is intentionality. That, that when leaders are educated so that the intentionality is integrated into a sustainable way that they do business. Uh, they'll do a values-based engagement. Somebody comes back and says, hey, you know, I, I went to the North region and every time I talk to somebody in the North region, they implied or directly stated they don't trust you as far as they can throw you. <laughs> and I don't think they can throw you very far. <laughs> so we should talk about that. And that is self-esteem awareness. Now we're, now we're aware of a challenge. We can have that pre-task brief, the leadership briefing on what are we going to do about this? And if, if that's what we decide to do, what could go wrong? And what's the worst thing that can happen? How are we going to mitigate those consequences or keep them from happening? Isn't that the same conversation we force workers to have every single day? Oh, oh, wait, you're going to change paper clips? Do you have your gloves on? Have you done a pre-task brief? Oh, you're getting on the ladder? It's a two-step ladder mm. in the office? Do you have you a spotter? A <laughs> yes. Do you, have a, do you have a spotter and a harness? <laughs> and, and have you put, put the engineered tie-off points into the plastic ceiling? Mm. You know, we, we drive those things down to workers, but the real decisions, you know, um, ORCHSC and um, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get them wrong. Tom Krause's old group and a couple of other people did some research on uh, 375 fatalities a few years ago. The, what they called sentinel decisions, the decision that started the cascade that ultimately resulted in the fatality, 95% of those sentinel decisions were made above the field level, not first line supervisor, not crew leader, not worker, manager or above. So is there, do we have a dog in the hunt for creating leaders that have this integrated sustainably into the way they do business that increases the organizational capacity to deal with these things? You damn right we do. And that that will be everywhere, like you say, like ninety five percent. That is like there is always context, and this is what brings me back to that conversation. If you want capacity and you want resilience, then don't don't even entertain the conversation of blame because there's just very little value there. Let's just talk about how do we keep building capacity to fail and 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 resilience. And then if if we do that, we focus on that. Every time we choose to learn from something, either a positive or negative event, that's our focus. We will continue to be, become more and more and more resilient. Resilience being a state that really we can never actually achieve. It's more right. a kind of aspiration. Isn't, isn't safe the same way? 
well exactly it's exactly the same isn't it it's a relative term and right. and and, it, and this is this is always my issue with with a lot of these conversations where people put a video or, or a picture on linkedin of oh, look at these idiots doing these stupid roles and i i put one on the other uh, i didn't put a thing on i commented to one of them well these two guys one's leaning over the edge of a building painting it the other's just kind of he looks like he's hanging on is that unsafe in most people's perception of safe, yes, right? Or is it, I think a better way to describe it would be, is it increased risk of, of a negative event? Yes. Is it unsafe? Not one of us can answer that question because safe But everybody relative, answers it. Yes, exactly. But safe is a relative term. And, and so I comment on it being, I said, like all these people are like, oh my God, look at these clowns, look at these idiots, they should be fired, blah, blah, blah. You've, yeah. seen, you've seen it all before, Rob. And, and I just commented, all I see is two guys getting the job done, trying to pay the bills and put food on the table. That's yeah, I, I stopped making the comments because, you know, people people turn into trolls. Oh my and, God, and, I'm and, getting and trolled. I, I'm going to say this wrong, but I've got to watch my credibility a little bit, you know? Mm. So It is difficult. You know, I, and and I, I also, you know, I get what you're saying because I'm, I've chose to not engage with those people because people are now actually, and this one was only about a week or two ago and I've, and I've learned now I'm looking at it and I'm like, do you know what, James, you stopped commenting on these posts for a reason. And now you have, maybe it was just a bad day, but let's learn from it because people are now challenging my credibility. People are commenting on there going, Oh, you're apparently a head of health, safety and environment. You're obviously incompetent. I'll be seriously worried for your employer. You know what I mean? And then, right. And then I'm like, hang on a minute, I've lost my job based on on what? Based on the fact which, that I'm doing- Which is happening all over the place today. Yeah. Another exactly. ridiculous conversation that we have to have. Yeah. But ultimately, but like, look- it's the same. It's exactly the same problem is that you're, you're blaming me because apparently, in your opinion, I'm incompetent. But there's context to the reason why I put that comment. Yeah. The same way because context you didn't understand the context. Because exactly. they didn't understand the context. You were trying to teach them something. We're back to education. Yeah, we are. Yeah. They really don't want to learn. No. And, and you know, I, for a while there, they would say, what do you think about this? And I would say genius or inventive or yeah. innovative. Or, yeah. Yeah. In, in, innovative. So, and then I just stopped because, you know, it's, I, it's the way I, it's the way I think, mm. but that's the wrong venue to try to change because you're, you're just so outnumbered with the, with the BS with people that don't understand, but that, you know, that tells us that the need for what we're doing is grand. Oh yeah. Massive, massive. And, and this stuff is affecting people every single day. Like I, I think back to an example that I have from healthcare and in a, in a high um, highly secure mental health unit and the context of what nearly every bad decision was rife, like understaffed, poor design building, um, misplaced uh, patients, you know, high need, real highly kind of um, dangerous patients in like a mid secure level and, and so on and so on, so on and so forth. A lot of unstaff, a lot of untrained staff or, or staff that are not allowed to, restrain people for for medical reasons and so on and so forth and all of the stories that i would hear out of that example 
the result was always blame the worker. You know, oh, you know, two people left early or this was left out here or that was left out here. Right, bit of paper, get the worker in. We'll, we'll fix the problem with another checklist, get the worker in and we'll blame them. But actually the context to that decision, the context to that action was rife, absolutely rife. And, and if I could circle back to something I think we talked about in the first month, and that is that too many people think that there's a culture of blaming workers. Mm. And I think that as humans, it's our human instinct to blame. Yeah. It's an emotion. So people can be, yeah. And it's a natural reaction that you can then educate people to um, react differently or respond differently. So also on, on that point, sorry to interrupt you, but also I think that, we have to acknowledge that the reason the reason why we are so keen to blame is because it fundamentally makes us feel safe. If I can go, that was Rob's fault. Rob's just an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Therefore, I'm safe. It's like right. a subconscious psychological safety that I get from blaming you and just telling you you're an idiot. And we've been doing this as long as humans have been around. Hundreds of millions of years. Yeah. And and so. I think too many organizations, I don't think it's been that long. You just said hundreds of millions. (laughs) Someone's going to be like, I I just let it go. (laughs) James, come on, come on, James. I'm sorry. I'm not good with numbers. Billions and billions. (laughs) uh, But, but, you know, if we can get people, especially leaders, educated to blame being a natural human tendency that is manageable, Mm. then they can build that into their, they can integrate that into the way that they do business. In other words, we don't allow another leader to blame. I'm not going to blame. I'll realize when I'm doing it and I'm not going to allow James to blame either. So when we have those leadership meetings and somebody did something stupid that they should have been more careful and paid more attention and be more situationally aware than when people start rattling those off, the devil's advocate in the room is then going to say, what makes you believe that? Mm. Prove that to me. Mm-hmm. Prove to me that this is a bad person that did a bad thing intentionally to either hurt themselves, someone else, or your plan. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. No, that's exactly what you exactly said. what you said, yeah. So now let's back. And, and so oddly enough, uh, I'm on the phone with a, with a improvement team the other day. And I had to say, okay, I need everybody that thinks that these are two bad people that did a stupid thing and tried to, tried to damage the equipment and almost wound up killing somebody. I need y'all to come out of the closet right now. Cause that's why you're all talking. Yeah. yeah. So Let's get it on the table and we need you to prove to the rest of us that that's true. One of my, one of my favorite exercises to do around that is you've got like that kind of investigation that learning what it process after the event, whatever you want to call it. And I, I always tried to say, right, a little exercise we're going to do today is we're going to try and come up with a couple of contributory factors to this, to this kind of event. 
and we're trying to going to try and come up with some mitigations to kind of make us more resilient in the future. And just for this, just for this little mini exercise, we are not allowed to mention human error. The human is not involved in this process whatsoever. And none of the mitigations can be targeted on the human. Let's just see what we come up with. Just completely forget there's a human there. That was exactly the conversation we had. And we already had 13 things in the system around it. Mm. And what I finally did a little bit out of frustration as a, you know, remote facilitator was I said, y'all are going to now have to prove to me that those 13 things we discovered are all BS. Yeah. And we're not saying they're BS, but how did they get there? Mm. And you don't think those 13 things impacted the individual in some way? Mm. You don't think the belief that, that if the system goes offline, this very, powerful customer would get pissed off at them mattered in any way in that moment to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so. and I just, there's just so many examples I can give to this, but just another, another kind of um, healthcare, high, high secure kind of healthcare um, example. It's like two, a situation where two bank staff, there was two of them on a bank shift and um, long story short, this was a medium secure unit. So um knives, forks, things like that uh, are kind of locked away. And there's a contraband kind of cupboard, um, which is locked away in a completely different room, so on and so forth. And um, the patients are allowed to do like a wet shave every now and then, but it's under very strict processes, right? These two bank staff, so if you don't know what bank staff is, it's basically like there's just some work comes on an email, uh, on on a web page and you're waiting. You're a bank staff and you're just waiting. So oh, there's two hours of work there. I'll take that. I'll take you, it. Yeah. So you're not used to working on that ward. You're not used to working in that hospital. Um, you know, you might be, you might not. But ultimately, anyone can take that bank staff work, right? So these two people take the bank staff on a night shift where you're less staffed anyway in a night shift. Things are a bit more. You've got less capacity to fail essentially on a night shift. Right. Because typically they're all asleep and, and there's less of a risk. So, OK, makes a bit of sense. Long story short, this uh, high, high risk patient was uh, was kind of saying, I want a I want a wet shave. Um, right. OK, fine. These bank staff, you know, asked the bank staff. They said, yeah, that's fine. They took him out of the room into the room oh, where the boy. contraband is. So there's <clears> now two bank staff and this very strong high risk patient in the room, opened contraband cupboard, big, big risk from this moment right now. And luckily nothing happened. Nothing wow. happened, near miss, but comes back through, they go in, kind of normal staff of, for the ward kind of, you know, what's going on? Why, why is he kind of allowed that right? What happened here? And Jesus Christ, it went nuts. What did they do? You did what? Yeah, what did they do? Blamed the bank staff. Yeah. Blame the bank. We're not having them too. They're idiots. Well, hang on a minute. What's the context here? How did you as an organization have a system that allowed that to happen? Yeah. Because these people are in this secure unit for a reason. So if you're a bank staff in that moment, you know, there's so many things going through your head. You could come off a low secure ward where you don't have to worry about that stuff. So you're like, well, I've never, I've never had to worry about that before. Yeah, sure. Here you go. Here's your razor. And the reality is the organizational decision 
to not make sure that the people that they're bringing in know the risks. I know, right? Is selling the risk to the lowest bidder. Yeah, yeah. That's we we've we had that discussion last time. Yeah. That these big organizations they sell the risk to the lowest bidder and then blame the lowest bidder for the risk coming true. Yeah. And this is where it comes back to all of those points that we're covering today, that education, education of those two members of staff when they started on that shift of those patients, this ward, what it looks like, you know, didn't happen. Integration of, of how we've, we're managing these concepts. So integrating that idea of kind of um, verbalizing what we're doing or that kind of pre-job brief or pre-task brief or something like that. Imagine if they'd have voiced that out loud to, or done a pre-job brief between the two, what we're doing, right? We're going to take him through to that area. Actually, now I say it out loud, that feels a little bit like we shouldn't do that, which is then make sure that that ward is sustainable, that the process of having a bank staff is sustainable, which ultimately gives us some capacity and resilience. Yeah. Just looking at and you it can do that on you can do that on almost anything mm. that has a predictive risk. Yeah. And and look, a lot of our, I get it, there's things that sneak up on us, but we know a lot of risk. Do you think Rob that one of the biggest issues I may I may have alluded to this kind of touch on this so but one of the biggest challenges and I'm going to have to tie this in a loop in a minute because my wife's got to go physio. Um, one of the biggest risks is that we, we kind of put a lot of weight on likelihood. So when we have those kind of high severity situations, we go, yeah, but it's not very likely. So I'm not going to do anything about it, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but okay. It's not very likely, but what if it did happen? Oh, they're dead. They're definitely dead. Right. Yeah. But it's not very likely. But hang on a minute. Do you, are you telling me that it's not very likely, but it's still probably still kind of plausible is probably a better way to say it. And you're going to do nothing about it, even though you just admit the guy's going to die. Yeah. That, I think that's a big issue. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we invent, we make up probability. Mm. We use what I call our MSU degree. We make shit up. <laughs> I'm stealing that. I am stealing that MSU degree. That is fucking beautiful. Oh, I'm stealing. Yeah, that. you know, went to four years of uni. Yeah, make shit up. Oh, that is so good. I'm but but that. yes, likelihood is all contextual. One hundred percent contextual. I likelihood wrote, has nothing I just, to do with oh. one in a million years. No, and I, I just met, I just wrote an article for my day job on on this because we've just had the kind of half year um, stats come out in the UK for the fatalities within within the within our year, and um, we're already up um, by twenty nine versus last year. Granted, last year was a bit different, but we're still up than the prior year to that as well. And I kind of had this conversation in this article that I wrote in the one of the main issues i think is this over reliance on likelihood and 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 I, and I just think that oh, i've lost my point what was i going to say it's complete i could I you, ju you just wrote an article we were talking about how likelihood is is you you, you just make it up that's it sorry thank you very much for that rob because uh, I, I saw that point float away from me as i was saying it and i was like no don't go um and and i made the argument to say 
the the categories of that are regular. So the, the the top three, which is fall from height, contact with uh, contact with struck a vehicle, um, struck by a vehicle, and then I think the other one was struck by like a falling object or like a swinging object or anything like. They yeah. are consistently for like the last five years, the top contributors to fatal accidents, right? And I've challenged everyone in this article, go and have a look at your risk assessment, find those three types of, of risk in your risk assessment and, and have a look at the likelihood that you've put on there because I guarantee it says low. What have you based that on? Because the data, the actual data in the UK is telling you that it's not, not likely. Actually, they're telling you it's quite likely because for the last five to 10 years, these consistently have killed a hundred and X amount of people. Yeah. every year so to me that's data to say stop trying to kid yourself this is likely and, and look we know the top 12 fatal hazards mm. why would we be talking about likelihood mm. if it's one of those hazards why is likelihood in the mix yeah i agree i agree i think it needs to come off i've to be honest, I don't, if, if I ever teaching somebody or doing facilitating a risk assessment or anything like that, the first thing I do is remove likelihood and severity yeah. from that. And, conversation. and I, you know, I still put it in so that people think about it when they're, when they're doing something like creating a process. Yeah. So that tells you how, how much level of detail does the process need? You know, do I even need a process? But for the stuff that we already know, uh, man, I'm sorry we, we ran out of time. This has been great. Yeah, this is, yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking at the clock being like, I wish I had another hour. Yeah. Um, but I definitely don't. Um, right. Well done for, for kind of bringing that well, to a, a loop. When my point. next quarter comes around in about eight years, I'll really look forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> Uh, nice one, Rob. Thank you very much. Do you want to just give us a, a kind of brief overview of what we've kind of talked about and then a shout out to, um, to your company and the work that you do? Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Uh, so we've done three months. First one was on leaders and the important. Second one was on the workforce and, and, their, and their importance. And we got in some pretty good level of detail. And today was about how we deploy. How do you make this happen? And of course, we went on some great journeys on all three of those. Mm. Um, that kind of leads to, you know, James very nicely offering for a plug. But for me, it's not really a plug. We have a huge amount of free information on all of these things. Just about everything we talked about in the last three sessions is somewhere in a two to five minute video or a, or a webinar or you know, we, we, we have a webinar that we did for the shipping industry called Going Beyond Unsafe Acts and Unsafe Conditions. How do, yeah. how do I get the mindset set beyond that? Mm. And that's on um, online.improvewithfit.com. And you can go there, join for free. There's all kind of, tons of material, but there's also some certification processes that are on there. Uh, you can certify procedure writers. You can certify incident analysts. Um, so you can buy some courses on there as well. Uh, and you can always visit our website at improvewithfit.com. Um, and, and as we learn, as we continue to grow in our knowledge, just like understanding how the helicopter lifts heavy loads compared to how a hummingbird and a bee work, um, we continue to load those things on. Uh, when we learn, 
as explorers and pioneers, we share with people that need it every day. And we hope you'll join us. I really appreciate the opportunity to be your co-host for, for these three months, James. Uh, I, you know, I can't say enough about that. No, it was great to have you on and a, and a nice different style as well. I enjoyed it. And uh, good to just kind of get real stuck into these kind of actual tangible stories and implementation techniques and stuff. It's been really insightful. So thank you very much, Rob. Good, good. I should put all the links and stuff in the description so that everyone can get it pretty easy. But thank you very much for your time, Rob. And uh, it's been great having you. Thanks. It was great to be here. Okay, beeps. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rob. Thank you very much, Rob, for being our quarterly co-host. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on. It's been a really nice, different way of doing it um, compared to the, the first quarterly co-host. It was really different as well. And I'm really enjoying the kind of cognitive diversity and the diversity of styles and stuff that this is bringing. Um, and I'm kind of enjoying kind of handing over the reins a little bit um, to, to, to the quarterly co-host and letting them kind of explore their their, their kind of ideas and so on and, and us enabling those ideas so if you've got something you're desperate to talk about you're thinking I could do with about three hours of content and and I could fill that with my idea or I've always wanted to have a conversation with these types of people or, or whatever you've got an idea you've got something you want the people to know more about the quarterly co-host slot could be the right option for you next quarter we have an amazing lady coming on who I've been talking to for a while um She's been on the podcast before and um, she's just an outstanding lady. She currently is the head of safety for Sainsbury's. I previously was the head of safety for BT Openreach as well. Her name's Crystal Danbury. She's, if you know her, then you know how amazing she is. And she's going to come on and be our quarterly co-host as well. I'm going to keep the subject secret for now. And um, you'll have to check in in a few weeks time to find out what we're going to talk about. But I'm really, really looking forward to it. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to check, check out Paradigm Human Performance Learning Organization webinar and the HSE subscription service. Don't forget to check out Project Meletium. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rate and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Do something positive, share it, subscribe, like it, because all of that helps us uh, get into more people's faces and, and expose people to these different ideas and better ways of working. Um, and ultimately, it helps us help you. You know, the more people that listen helps us kind of spread the word, but it helps us up, upgrade our content and so on and so forth. So thank you very much for watching. I'll catch you later. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.